0: Okay, I'm going to read chapter 8 of Joshua, verses 26 and 27. But then we're going to come back and we're going to walk through chapter 7. Okay? But I'll need to do something before I do that. Joshua 8:26 and 27. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out the spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Now remember, this is chapter 8. Only the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves, according unto the word of the Lord, which he commanded Joshua. Let me, let me just share with you where I'm coming from. This is not for public consumption. This is for you as a church. Uh, when we began as a church 40-something years ago, it was just a handful of students And we realized realized that culturally, uh, the church uh, had in some way been infiltrated by the values of the world, a big part of the evangelical church had. And so we set ourselves to seek God, not about doctrine, because most of us came from pretty doctrinally sound churches, but the application of how that is to be lived out uh, in common life together. Does that make sense? And so in order to do that, we had to somewhat divorce ourselves uh, from the way our culture had shaped us and formed us and to give up everything and to ask God to, uh, to show us how he would have us live together. What kind of common life would we have together? And so... Uh, we decided that we wanted to talk about things that would affect our children so that we could have a community where we don't attend a church that works against the values that we understand to be the kingdom of God, but that we together as parents would get together and we would talk about how life should be lived. And we would be willing to give give up some things that that we own, uh, some things that we appreciate, in order to be in common with others. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do. And so we wrestled through that for years, and I think we were able to uh, to yield ourselves and to have a pretty safe place, a community that was consistent, in agreement about the things that would be touching our children. Well, those people... Uh, are older now. I'm 60, and that original group is older. And so now comes a whole new generation of people that are raising children, and a whole new generation of people that have come into the church. And with that comes a bit of tremor in the value system. Um, You get kids raised in the church who, and we have just awesome young men and young women that are raised in the church uh, but that pushed the limits and then when they got out on their own rather than resetting they lived in those limits that they pushed um, don't worry nobody's on drugs, nobody's laying in the gutter drunk uh, nobody's decided to switch their gender um, but it's just a little push And because of that, one of the other things that happens is a lot of the things that we realized were safe for our kids, they were a bit embarrassed. And so when new people would come into the church, they would be somewhat hesitant to share with them how they might ought to adjust a certain way uh, to better reflect God. And so I am more than happy to die and turn the reins over and go away, but not before I'm sure that it's a church full of people that are willing to give up everything to follow Jesus. Only when you give up everything and embrace the cross are you able to represent Christ. Because when there's anything left in us that's residual from the world that we won't let go of, in some way that detracts from the glory of God. And so the principle that I'm going to share tonight is... it's It's an applied principle for for us as a people. And I'm really appealing to that middle section of the church that you are coming to the place that you are going to be raising children together. And let me tell you, you all need to get together and you need to lay down everything in your life that would offend the sensibilities of the parents you're raising your children with and come into agreement so your children can have a supporting community and the values you want to live out. Does that make sense? Now, you got to be careful. You can't be legalistic. And I'll give you our 1 in 10 rule, uh, and then I'm going to go to the Scripture and lay out the principle. Here's the 1 in 10 rule. So we have 10 meetings a month. you got to miss one of them. Uh, we have 10 rules on child training. You've got to disobey one of them. We've got 10 rules of how you ought to dress. You gotta disobey one of them. We got ten rules of this, ten rules of this, ten rules of this, and it's, this is just rhetorical. But do you understand the point? Nothing that we agree upon that we generally do as far as methodology and expressing values is a law. And at any one point, because of your situation, uh, you may choose to do other than that. But as a whole, we try to create a consistent community, uh, that lives out what we believe the Word of God would be. Uh, in this very interesting culture. So, let's go to the Bible. And we're going to go through chapter 7 of Joshua. And uh, let me let me back up into Joshua chapter 6. Now, chapter 6 is where... Um, remember, I read that verse from 8. We're going to go there. In chapter 6, this is the battle of Jericho. Everybody knows the battle of Jericho. But there's a theme through the battle of Jericho... That, uh, that I want to point out before we go on to 7. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 6, verse 17 says, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. King James Version says, It shall be accursed. Everything shall be accursed. Uh, another way to say it is, Devoted to the Lord for destruction. That's Joshua 6, 17. Only Rahab the prostitute... And all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid messengers whom we sent. She received the Holy Ghost. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a theme for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But but all silver and gold... And every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So everything is accursed or devoted to the Lord. The gold and silver is saved and put into the treasury for the purposes of God. Everything else is devoted to the Lord for destruction. Don't you take it or you will bring a curse on the whole nation. All right. Joshua six twenty four, they won the battle and they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. So, it's cursed or it's devoted. Destroy it or put it in the treasury. And it says that Joshua and all the people did that. Now move on to chapter 7. Really, chapter 7, verse 1, should be part of chapter 6. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing, for Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. So there you go. That's the battle of Jericho. They're told to... uh, Avoid the accursed thing. In the end, the leader says, we've done it. We won. We gave everything to God and we destroyed everything else. But it says the whole nation sinned because one guy partook of the accursed thing. And so what you find at the beginning of, of this chapter is uh, in these following verses, they try to go on to the next battle, the battle of Ai. Now, I I titled this tonight, Heart Trouble. You'll see why in a minute. Heart Trouble. And so they go on and they try to uh, take this town of Ai. But as they do it, for some reason, they get defeated and they don't kill any of the enemy. And they run and Joshua sees this going on and he cries out to God. Joshua 7, 9 is where he cries out. Are you tracking with me? Don't let me lose you. If I I lose you, raise your hand. He's crying out to God, and he's wondering what's going on. And he says, For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it, and shall environ around us, and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do unto thy great name? God, they're beating us. They're destroying us. God, you brought us here. And if they destroy us, Egypt will hear about it. And his cry in verse 9 is, Lord, so what are you going to do about your great name? I think that's an important principle. Um, when, whenever we get into a place where we are failing spiritually, or w- when we are in a difficult time, it's very easy to, to, to take on a mindset. And I wrote down at least three or four here. If you're caught in a place that's compromised. It's very easy to be embarrassed and not want people to know about it. Oh, I hope no one finds out. Even if it's a little white lie, you know. I don't want anybody to find out. Or, if you get caught, you can think, oh, I'm in trouble. I need to get out of trouble. The third one is, it's over. I'll never amount to anything when people find out. Or, I'm going to die and go to hell. I don't want to die and go to hell. But there's a fourth way. And it's a much better way. God. For your glory. Yeah, I may have messed up. But me messing me up is not nearly as bad as me messing up your name. And I bear your name. Oh God. I am your representative in the earth. And this is more important than me. God, come and do something about this situation for your name's sake. That was really good. I, I should have got some amens on that. Now, I know we've just come through this political system or this political cycle. And uh, it, it's hard to think that anybody would really want to lay their life down for something other than their own ego, except a, a few of our politicians. Uh, do that. I, I was going to introduce Jim earlier. I told he snuck out just as I was trying to catch him. But uh, this is Jay's father and Jay's mother, and uh, he's uh, the representative for the folks down around Elizabethtown. Is that right? Glad you're here tonight. Thanks for your service, and uh, we'll be praying for you. Everybody, get get his face in mind. And Jay, you remind us occasionally to pray for him. Uh, we we are in a great great opportunity here. You notice I wore my purple tie tonight. I. I Someone told me that that's a combination of red and blue. And so this is my unity tie tonight. So I'm with everybody. But really, as you were going through this cycle, and you were watching some of the national uh, candidates, they were all saying how much they loved America and it was all about America and it was not about them. But did you ever think maybe... It might be a little bit about them. Can you imagine somebody who really was willing to spend all their money and all their time and devote themselves for the next two, three, six years just to serve something greater than they are? you know there are people like that? God can get a hold of a heart And there can be people who love His kingdom so much that they devote themselves fully for His name's sake. I think we call that Christian maturity. Certainly we come to God out of need. We love Him because He first loved us. But the closer you get to Jesus and the more you understand what He's done for you and what He's done in the earth, the more you say, wow, it's not about me not hurting. It's not about me not going to hell. It is positively about his kingdom coming. Oh, Jesus, come and have your way in my life and make me the absolute representation of the unity, the trinity, the relationship in heaven here in the earth. Make me pure love for your name's sake. Crucify me. Let me drink of the death of Christ so that the life of Christ can flow through me. Reminds me when Moses, when they, when they got up to the, to the land and they were getting ready to go in and God was mad at them. Remember the spies came back and they weren't going to go in and God was going to wipe them out and Moses and, and told Moses, I'll make a nation out of you. And Moses says the same thing as Joshua. But God, what about your name? You need to demonstrate that you can take a people through the wilderness. And not lose them. Oh God, for your great name. Man, if that could live in our soul. And that we would be a people that would live for his great name. Let's keep moving on down through here. Um, Joshua 7, 11. God responds to him. And he says... Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing and have also stolen and dissembled also, and they have put it even among their own stuff. First thing I would like to point out, God responds to Joshua, Israel has sinned. Israel has sinned because one of them, You see, when you're culture building, when you're demonstrating a culture, if one person violates holiness and righteousness and the purposes of God, I promise you the world will say, look at them, what they do. God is interested in His people representing Him as a unity. And over and over, God looks at churches and he sees their condition. Now remember, this is not about oh yeah, I don't want to be a sinner. You got to keep this in mind as we go through it, or you'll get legalistic and 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 it'll mess you up. But what we're talking about is being a glory to God as a people. All right? Keep that in mind. That's what Israel was doing. They were bringing the kingdom of God into a region. And they were supposed to be separated from what would affect them in that region. And so it says All of Israel had sinned. So it affects the whole nation. And as a result, they were defeated. Somebody should have seen him take that stuff. Somebody should have been been there to bring him to repentance. But they didn't. And they went into battle. That's a whole other story. They got defeated. But it says they did two things. They sinned and they transgressed the covenant. So what this individual did that was attributed to all of them was, first of all, he missed the mark. He missed the mark. Of course, for us, the the image of Christ is our mark. That's, that's That's a pretty high mark to hit. But he missed the mark, and then it says that he transgressed the covenant. To transgress means to go outside of. So there's just a specific sin, but there's a covenant and promise of God. Remember the Abrahamic covenant? I am going to make you a nation, and I'm going to bless you, and you are going to be a blessing to the rest of the world. It transgressed that. It got outside of that covenant. And then Moses said that if you will keep these commandments, then all of the nations will fall before you, and I will establish you in the land. They got outside the covenant. They disobeyed God, and as a result, They were defeated. And then it says, because they have stolen and they have lied. Just a a simple principle. If you steal something and you don't tell anybody, it's a lie. See, they had agreed to follow God's commandment. And at the end, Joshua declared, okay, we've done it, guys. We've defeated the city. We've burned everything except the gold, and we've given it to God. And this guy did not, Achan did not open his mouth. He kept it shut. And so a lot of times we think that silence and not getting caught is the key. All right, God, I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't let anybody find out. But you're going to see in just a minute that there's a principle of glorifying God and confessing our sins to one another. All right, let's keep working down through here. Verse seven, or verse 19 and 21, And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord. Now, by this time in the chapter, the Spirit of God has identified which family it is. You know that part of the story. You read it this week, right? How many read it? Raise your hand. Okay. You know what went on. They discovered that it was this specific guy. And he says unto Achan, My son, I pray thee, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession unto him. Now see, they already know who it is. The Spirit of God narrowed it down and brought it right to his tent. And Joshua says, Son... Glorify God. Confess that you did it. And tell me now what you've done. Hide it not from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus I have done. Now listen to this, verse 21. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then... I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. So again, the Spirit of God reveals it, but man must confess it. Remember in the garden, God knew exactly what they had done. And he comes and he asks Adam, What have you done? And Adam confesses, and then he asks Eve, What have you done? And as they have confessed to him, confession to God is coming to the place that you submit judgment to him out loud and you say, Father, I have sinned and you are the righteous judge. And then you leave it in his hands. That's the way you glorify God once you've sinned. And Achan does it. Adam did it. After Adam did it, there was judgment. After Eve did it, there was judgment on both her and the devil. And here, after Achan does it, there's a judgment. Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the day... Oh, that's not Achan. That's the devil. Uh, (laughs) I'll read you that in a minute. So, so here's, here's the way it goes. He says, I coveted them and took them. I saw them, I coveted them, and then I took them. That's a good thing to stop and consider. Over in Genesis, the same thing happens. You see it, you covet it, and then you take it. It's a process. There's no sin in seeing it. The sin begins with coveting. And it takes you past the point of no return when you take it. That happens over and over and over in the Bible. And so what did he take? He took a goodly Babylonish garment. And he took wedges of gold and silver. So always in the Bible, when you talk about garments, it's it's talking about the person's character. Um, You remember uh, David... Oftentimes, he would be putting stuff on. Remember Saul's armor? We understand Saul's armor to be something other than the sling and and faith in God. To put on that armor and try to fight with that untried uh, 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 suit of armor would have been to put faith in that armor. And so he didn't use that. And uh, then, not long after that, remember Jonathan took his garment off and gave it to David. Remember that story? That signified, of course, This he was giving his princedom to David. I'm taking my garment and I'm putting it on you, even though my father wants to kill you. And then later on, you see him putting on a linen ephod, which is what a priest wears. And he did that when he brought in uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and he, remember he was dancing and got in trouble for that? But all of those different clothes were, were demonstrating something. Remember Elijah? When he went up, what dropped? A cloak. And that cloak came down, and who got it? Elisha. And what did that represent? That represented his anointing. Remember Joseph? a coat of A long coat or a coat of many colors, whichever way you interpret it that that represented his not only his place in the family, but what would become his place in the world. Okay? So you always see, in, in, in Revelation, you know, we're going to be clothed. We're going to be clothed in what? Fine linen. Scripture says that represents the righteous works of the saints. So always when it's a garment, it, it's usually pointing towards something, and this just happens to be a Babylonish garment. Now, where's the first place that we hear about Babylon? tower of Babylon. What are they doing? They are trying to make their way to heaven, apart from God. Who's the next place that you remember Babylon in a major way? What's that? Abraham? Ur of the Chaldees? He's called to leave Ur of the Chaldees so God could make a nation out of him. And then, near the end of the history of Israel, they go down into captivity in where? You remember in Babylon, the first thing is they try to get them to eat what God's told them not to eat. Then they try to get them to bow down to their king. And then finally, they try to get them to quit praying. The last place we see Babylon is in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, the very last book, the book of Revelation, and we hear about the whore of Babylon, who is the mother of all whoredoms. In other words, everything that would entice you away from Christ is represented by Babylon. I saw a goodly Babylonish garment, and I took it. In other words, there was something about Babylon, there was something about this culture that was appealing to me, And I wanted that. On the outside, it may have just looked beautiful, but it really represented that culture that was affected with all of the gods of a different nation. And so he was longing for that. The second thing, though, was gold. And what was the gold and silver supposed to do? The gold and silver was supposed to be put into the treasury for what? For the work of the kingdom. They would eventually build... The, 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 uh, the tabernacle, they were, they were going with the, 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 ta- the, the tent, but they would actually build a temple later on. All of that was going to accrue. They were going to use it for the work of sacrifice and worship in the temple. So two things, and pay real close attention. One thing is there's something in the world that I desire for myself that is not good. There is something good that belongs to God, but I want that for myself. And so Israel here is given the opportunity to totally say, listen, I don't want anything that belongs to God for myself. And I don't want anything from the world that would tarnish the name of Christ in my life. And one person saw something. They thought, I'd love to have that. And they took it. And it brought defeat into the kingdom. All right. So, no, it's bad. I'm, I'm trying to make it bad. I've gotten long-winded. So, the Spirit of God convicts Achan. He confesses. In the New Testament, James, it says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another, for the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But what did they do with Achan once he confessed? They took him, and they stoned him, and they killed him. And this is what you need to understand. When you sin, you defame the name of Christ. You need to confess it. And you need to be stoned. I don't think we realize that. If you sin, you've gone outside of the covenant. And you need to confess it. And you need to let God judge you. And until we realize that, we don't appreciate what Christ did. We don't appreciate the fact that Our sin is what separates us from God. Because our sin is not a little act that we perform, but it's something that takes away from His glory and His purposes and what we were created for. And so the stoning for your sin and the stoning for my sin happened in the cross. When Christ died, it says that He bore the sins of the whole world. And let me tell you, we have an opportunity to live free from sin because of what he did. But thank God, if we don't, if we don't, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now stick with me because I'm not going to leave you on a downer. What time is it? Oh man, i got 20 minutes to dig us out of this hole. But I think we've got to understand this. And I think this is a problem. Most people won't admit this. We're all mixed up in our grace teaching. Grace means nothing if what I'm telling you isn't true. And to try to understand and apply grace before you realize that my sin messes up the purposes of God and I should be stoned, then we don't really need grace but oh, how beautiful grace is when we understand what a great opportunity we've missed and we can be restored. All right, so let's keep working on down through here if I can find out where I am in my notes. So this principle tells us that we must walk in absolute renunciation of the world. We do not take anything from the world. Now, Now we go on to chapter 8. In chapter 8, Achan's been stoned. Oh, by the way, this is where the title comes from. Achan means trouble. That's why I call it heart trouble. Actually, Ai means trouble. This was the place of trouble. And you've got to remember that the place of trouble is where you take the glory of God or... For you take something from the world that's less than God's best for you. Does that make sense? Okay. So, But here, Joshua 8, 26 and 27. I love this. For Joshua drew not his hand back. So they fought with Ai. They win this time because they dealt with anything in them that would try to take it for themselves or take something they shouldn't. They win until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the cattle and the spoil of that city Israel took for a prey unto themselves, according unto the word of the Lord, which he commanded Joshua. Isn't that interesting? The battle of Ai, they lose it the first time. Why? Because they took some stuff from Jericho. Here, at the end of the battle, God says, go ahead and take all the livestock you want. Isn't that interesting? Remember the battle of Jericho? What did they have to learn before they could shout? They had to learn to be quiet. They had to quiet their mind and their mouth and set their eyes on Jesus and just follow Him for seven days, the Ark of the Covenant, seven days. And on the seventh day, seven times. And finally, it said, when you hear the trumpet, then shout. God can trust us with much when we can't be captured by anything. Remember, God didn't even let them go into battle when they left. He said, I'm not going to take you into battle yet because you guys would run. So God trains us. God releases us into deeper levels of stewardship. Remember, it talks of that good and faithful steward in Matthew chapter 24, who when when the Lord returns... Rather than beating the other servants and feasting, he's giving to the servants what, what the master has given to him. You remember that parable? That's where this is headed. God wants to entrust us with much, but he does not want much to own us. And so we've got to learn the principle of being able to resist what wealth can do to you. God wants to make you wealthy in whatever way that is for you. I'm not talking about Cadillacs and and, and those things. Maybe some of you. But God wants to entrust you with the wealth of the kingdom. But the first principle you've got to learn is the principle of heart trouble. And heart trouble is this. When you want to take glory for yourself, when you want to take what belongs to God and make it yours, or when you want to take something from the world That doesn't reflect the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? And only God knows what you can handle. And so, in order for this to happen, you have to be pressed into God. You have to be walking with the Father, and you have to be hearing. One of my favorite sayings is, Others may, you may not. And you've just got to know what that is. We don't live in an everybody else is doing it world. We live in a relationship with the Father who's training us and putting us in places. (laughs) So we're building a church. We are a people who came together and we said, there's a God in heaven and there is a messed up culture. And we're messed up people. And we have to be willing to lay down our egos and we also have to lay down our desires and we have to seek him with all of his heart. Father, could you create a community of people that walk in perfect love because we are not owned by the things that you've given us. We are not owned by our own ego. But we see you high and lifted up. And Lord, I will give up anything to see your kingdom established in our city so that the other nations can see and that they will long to be part of a community that's full of little Christs who are willing to lay their lives down for one another. I think the biggest problem in this is is a misunderstanding of grace. I think, I think we don't deal treacherously with sin because somehow it seems as though we think God has changed. In the Old Testament, He had all of these laws, and now in the New Testament, it's grace. And grace means I kind of sort of do what I want as long as I don't hurt anybody too much. Do you think God is any less holy? Do you think God has changed His character and He no longer cares about the smallest detail? Grace didn't come to permit sin. Grace came to first forgive us of our sin and put us into relationship with God so he could teach us how to live unto him. And that's freedom from sin, you see. In in Galatians, I'm going to read a few verses here. Galatians 3, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Should you not obey the truth? before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. And so people read that and think, man, we shouldn't be under the law. We shouldn't have things that we don't do. We should always be led of the Spirit. That's probably part of the foundation of postmodernism. There is no absolute... We just kind of, we're all led of the Spirit. No, there's some absolutes in God. There's some absolute truth. And we have to find out how to apply that truth here in this place in this time. It's really, it would take a long time to explain but Galatians isn't even actually talking about being legalistic. It's really talking about keeping the Jewish law. And so it goes on, and these are the verses I think a a lot of people miss. It says, you have been called to liberty... 5, 13. Only do not use this liberty as an occasion for the flesh, but by it what? Serve one another. Galatians 5.13. You have been called to liberty. Yes. And I used to get this all the time when I was in college. And I was trying to help people walk away from the things that were holding them in bondage. Oh, but I've been called to liberty. Yeah, you've been called. You're free. You can now lay your life down for other people. You used to not be able to do that, but now you can and who the sun sets free is free indeed. Galatians five eighteen through 25 If you're led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, you're no longer under the law. You don't have to follow the law. And if you'll quit following the law, you won't do all these things. Because you'll be led of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And those that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. 6, 7, and 8. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For Whatsoever a man soweth shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Read the whole book. Don't pull a few verses and read your theology into it. Read the whole book and see that this liberty that we come into takes us to a deeper holiness and denial of the affections and lusts of the flesh. By the power of God. We are a people who are able because of what God has done. Let me pop over into 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. 10.23. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. So two things. That's 1 Corinthians 6:12 and 10:23 if you're taking notes. There's nothing out there that is inherently in and of itself that bad. But they're not all expedient. And I am not going to let myself be governed by anything. And we're going to talk about some specifics in just a minute. Entertainment is not going to govern me. Food is not going to govern me. Vacations are not going to govern me. I can do anything I want, but I'm not going to be controlled by them. And number two, I can do anything I want, but everything I do won't necessarily build up the purposes of God. And so, rather than choose to do those things I want to do, but it doesn't build up the kingdom of God, I want to choose to do the things that build you up and lay my life down for you. See, isn't this awesome? When you when you really see those principles, God wants us to get to the end of ourselves, so He can bless us with great stewardship. So we'll use it not just for what's lawful for us, but what's expedient for others, and we will not come in bondage to that. Yeah? We have got a great gospel. Titus 2, 11-14, just to bring some balance to grace. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a a peculiar people zealous of good works. Grace teaches us that we can live godly in this present age. And he redeemed us so we would be zealous of good works. And remember, good works, again terminology has killed us. Good works are not things you do to go to heaven. Good works are the purposes of God in loving others, in laying your life down, in caring for people, in, in loving your kids, in loving your wife, and loving your neighbor. That's what Christ came to do, was to deliver us from Egypt, take us into the wilderness, and teach us His will and His purpose and then slowly begin to bring us into the land and establish it and graciously reveal where we have heart trouble, deal with it, and then move on and give us victory in that thing and move on to the next. All right? So let me give you some things as, as we come to, uh, to plant churches. And Ben, you know, I hope you guys will take time and you will, you know, you all are sort of a new generation church. And as you all are planting, I think it would be very important. For you all to come to these things, not legalistically, to know you guys can, you you guys can act like the prophets. You know, you can strip and run naked in the street if you want to. Who was that? Was that Isaiah? Was that Isaiah? Ezekiel? It was Ezekiel. It was one of them I know. And uh, but that might not be expedient right now. It might not build up. And the real problem. In America right now is rugged individualism. That people cannot come together and say, how would God have us live that would best reflect Him? And it's left us without a, without a common voice. And so I would encourage you all. And I'm, I'm going to share these with you. And And these are things that you all need to come together and seek God and see how they should be lived out. Here's a quick list. Hebrews 12, 14. It says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Holiness is not all. Holiness is God set apart unto Himself. He is in and of Himself and holiness is when we partake of His character. That's living in holiness. So we should seek to understand God and how He would live in Lexington, Kentucky in the 21st century. I said it. I said the 21st century. I've been saying the 20th century ever since I was born. And that's the first time I think I got it right, the first time. Miracles. 1 Timothy 4.7 But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself, brethren, to godliness. We need to understand what are the philosophies that are floating around about God And we need to make sure that we don't participate in those. And we need to have solid, clear doctrine. Churches need to be built on the Word of God, not what you heard from me, not what you heard from Grandpa, not what you heard from the preacher on the radio, but you need to know what the Word of God says about God himself. 2 Timothy 2.22, I'm going to go through these real fast. I'm almost finished. I only have 14 pages left. Flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. Now listen, I know we're interested in apologetics, but let me tell you something. One of the dumbest things you can do is to get on terms that aren't ours and try to have an argument. You're going to end up trying to answer a lot of foolish questions You need to know the Word of God, and you need to know how to share the truths of the Bible. And that is the best apologetic you'll ever have. I share that for you college students. Okay, Worship. You need to pray about what worship really is. You need to come to the Word of God, and you need to realize, uh, A.W. Tozer, he, uh, he said that the war was lost, referring to the atrocious invasion of the world into the church. He objected to the anemic Christianity. In many churches, Tozer complained, Christianity has been watered down until the solution is so weak that if it were poison, it would not hurt anyone. And if it were medicine, it would not cure anyone. I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. So you guys need to get together and you need to say, are we trying to make our worship entertaining for people who are bored? Or are we worshiping Almighty God? And the problem is with people being bored with that. Their hearts need to change. Our worship doesn't. A lot has been done in the last few decades that's made worship man-centered rather than God-centered. Sexuality. 1 Corinthians 5.1 It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So they dealt with sexuality and what was proper and appropriate. Here, This is the church of Corinth. They've got a situation going on, and the whole church comes to agreement about how we should deal with this. Ben? You need to get your people together and you need to decide what the Word of God says about sexuality, and you all need to demonstrate that. Should someone fall, you should be able to to bring them to true repentance and appropriation of the cross. But you can't bow your knee and say, Well, that's okay. That goes on. Gender identity. I think this is some place that the church is just getting beat up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm just going gonna, gonna to give you the references. Basically what's going on, the men and women are not necessarily acting like men and women should act. And so Paul writes them and says, Ladies, here's the way you need to dress. And guys, this... It's what you need to wear so that people know you're a woman and you're a man. And it's interesting, he goes on and says, or otherwise you might as well just dress like a prostitute. Bring that across the bridge of the ages and you've got to figure out, Ben, in the 21st century, what's the difference between men and women and how do you express that and how do you live it out in your church? These are real problems that Paul was dealing with. He didn't have to do anything. He could have lived however he wanted. But he understood what best represented the kingdom. They had an apostolic input into their church and they said, Okay, we're not going to do that anymore. We're not going to wear that anymore. We're going to wear more of that. Speaking of clothing, 1 Peter 3, 3-4. through Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit. You know, I'm not, I'm not preaching a clothesline. I'm not telling you what to wear. But as the people of God, we need to know how we should dress. In such a way that meekness and quietness and character comes through instead of sensuality or a worldly attitude. That's exactly what this scripture's saying. Sorry, it's the Bible. But if we're going to be a people who live a certain way, and look around, you know, you don't see people wearing toe sacks and you know ashes on them, and and you know, everybody looks pretty nice tonight. Looks like Brent went finding, and uh, you look pretty good tonight, Jake. My brother finds all kinds of things on the side of the road, and we're all benefactors of his findings. All right, First Corinthians ten. I got a couple more here. First Corinthians chapter ten and Romans fourteen. That's the part that talks about what you eat. The problem is, there's certain meats that people wouldn't eat because it had been sacrificed to idols. And so, in both of these portions, it says, look, it doesn't matter what you eat or what you don't eat. What matters is, number one, you have to love the people around you. And you have to make sure what's going in your mouth is beneficial to them and not offensive to them. And if they've got some reason that you should not drink or eat that, you should not. And it goes on, that's the at the end of that chapter, chapter ten, is where it says, Whatever you eat, the purpose for eating it, whatever you drink, the purpose for drinking it must be what? What? All right, money, Hebrews thirteen five. Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have. It is so hard to figure out how to be happy with what you have in the 21st century. When you have to save for your retirement. When you have to hedge against a a downturn in the market. When you have hopes to leave stuff to your kids. What's enough? How do I live? Church, you need to get together and talk about it. So that you are not in bondage. To getting ahead. I'll, 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 I'll be frank. I know my generation. We live within our means. Our first houses didn't come for a long time. And we did not indebt ourselves deeply to live like the Joneses. But we understood what it was to do without until we could engage a piece of property in a sensible way. We did not go out and buy new cars because we knew that you could get a year-old car for $7,000 less. And my concern is that the whole understanding of stewardship has been moved to the outskirts and a lot of you all could end up putting yourself in debt to the point that you are no longer free and you have to get a second job. Or somebody has to, you know, there was a period of time when we were paying for each other's tuitions so we wouldn't have to go into debt to go to school. And most of us in that generation did not come out of school with big debt. Now, I'm not telling you it's a sin To take a loan out to go to school. Uh, Unfortunately, you're probably going to have to pay it back because of the election. But, (laughs) sorry, Uh, but I think you need to revisit and you need to ask yourself what it is to live within your means and not be covetous and take the next step before you're financially stable enough to take it. All right, leisure, um That's the last one. There's some more, but I'll just do leisure. 2 Samuel chapter 11. David, everybody was going out to do battle, but David decided that he was going to stay home. It was a time when all the kings went out to do battle. He decided that he would take a vacation. The implication is he should have been out at battle. But because he had given himself s- such vacations... He was put in the place of temptation. In his own pleasurable lust, took over. He saw, he coveted, and he took. She conceived, and he lied. And then he killed her husband. I think this might be a big one for you all. Listen, you live in the United States of America. The most blessed Nation in the world. And it has offered us great stewardship. We have lots of free time. We have lots of discretionary funds. But let me warn you, as soon as you begin to use that discretionary time for digital entertainments, for multiple trips to the gorge, for You name it. (laughs) Anything. Hey, I love the gorge. I don't like digital stuff, but I love the gorge. I like fishing. But when that becomes your God, when you become controlled by that, when you give yourself to those kinds of leisures and pleasures, when you really should be giving yourself to the work of the kingdom, caring for widows, caring for orphans, going door-to-door for your favorite representative that's running this cycle, Which, again, in two years? How many of y'all willing to go down to Elizabethtown for a day and go door to door? I'll go. I'll, I'll lead you. Ben, you need to get together and you need to talk about this extra leisure time that's getting poured in to all kinds of activities that aren't really extending the kingdom. All right, so... We're great. God's us. My, what a beautiful bunch of people. What great kids we've raised. But there's a new generation coming. And you have got to figure out how to live in this world that dresses funny, that has guys who walk funny because they're not sure of what they are. When you have great opportunity to just let your brain veg forever because you're in college... You need to get together, and you need to find out what God's doing, and you need to passionately give yourself to that. And if you fall short in anything, don't get stoned. This is not California. <laughs> Come to Christ. The, r- the real message is, is it's, it's awesome. We don't have to be weeded out of the kingdom because we fail. Christ has taken that sacrifice for us, not so that we can continue to grab that garment and take that gold, but so that we can continue to establish something that, that, that really reflects the kingdom of God. Amen? All right. That's that. The end. It's 8.12. I took 12 minutes of you. Let's go ahead and stand. You got a song we can close with? Okay. Did I say everybody in here is wicked and everybody's sinning and you need to straighten up? No. There's a lot of good things we could do, but we have better things to do with our life. And we have got to figure out in our generation, in our time, what those things are and give ourselves to them fully.